everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay. And today, I wanted to talk to you guys about the story of the monkeys. The Monkees are definitely a band that everyone has heard of before. Their hit song, I'm a Believer, has been covered most famously by 90s rock band Smash Mouth for the DreamWorks animated movie Shrek in the 2000s. They also had hit singles like Daydream Believer and Last Train to Clarksville. So even if you aren't familiar with the band, you have definitely heard of their music before. But the Monkees have been no stranger to controversy since their inception in the 60s. Rumors have plagued the American Fab Four as not playing their instruments or singing their own songs on any of their albums. Essentially, that they had no real talent and other musicians were doing the heavy lifting while the Monkees were miming their vocals and instrumentation. But what is actually true? Today, we're going to get to the bottom of these questions. Are the Monkees a fake band? And can they actually play music? Are they real at all, or simply just a construct put together by studio executives to make money? Without further ado, let's dive in. Firstly, let's get acquainted with the star players in the band. We have, at the top, Mickey Dolenz. He is most known for playing the drums, but he also does lead vocals and guitar. He was born in Los Angeles, California on March 8, 1945. Both of his parents were actors. He had the acting bug as well from a young age, starring in a couple of TV shows when he was just a boy in 1956. By the early 60s, he had his own rock band called Mickey and the One-Nighters. Due to a childhood illness that affected the hip joints and right leg, he had to adapt his drum kit to be able to play right-handed and left-footed. Quite unorthodox, but he made it work. In this band he created, he was the lead singer and the drummer. The band's live act included covers of popular rock and R&B songs. Most notably, Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good was the song that he loved to sing the most. Moving on down the line to the face of the monkeys, Davy Jones. He's the only member of the group who is not American. He is, in fact, from England. He was born on December 30th, 1945 in Openshaw. He got his start in the acting business on the most popular British soap opera of all time, Coronation Street. He also went on to star in the play Oliver in London's West End as a teenager. He was making quite the name for himself among his contemporaries of the time. But fate would have him shipped on over to America in February of 1964, where he appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show with his West End castmate Georgia Brown. Davy was featured on the same exact episode of The Ed Sullivan Show that became the most historic due to popular band The Beatles making their American debut on the program at the same exact time. Davy said that he watched The Beatles from the side of the stage. I saw the girls going crazy, and I said to myself, that's it, I want a piece of that. Needless to say, his career as a West End actor was very short-lived. He turned to music, and he had a single debut on the latter end of the Billboard Hot 100 during August of 1965, entitled, What Are We Going To Do?, landing at spot number 93. He was only 19 years old at this time, and he created a debut album with Colpix Records, who was owned by Columbia, shortly afterward. Moving on to Michael Nesmith, who was born in Houston, Texas, also on December 30th, but he was born in 1942. His career was vastly different compared to his bandmates. Before he became a serious musician, he actually enrolled 
in the U.S. Air Force in 1960. He completed basic training and he was trained as an aircraft mechanic in Texas, after which he obtained his GED and was honorably discharged from the Air Force in 1962. After which, his mother and stepfather gifted him a guitar for Christmas. He was obsessed with learning and he was eager to get into a band of his own. He went from group to group playing folk and country with the occasional rock and roll in his repertoire. And last but certainly not least, Monkey member Peter Tork was born in 1942 in Washington, D.C. He began studying piano at the age of nine, showing a high level of talent for learning to play many different instruments. He moved to New York City after college, and he became heavily ingrained in the folk music scene in the Greenwich Village area during the early 60s. It was here that he befriended musician Stephen Stills, who would be one-third of the rock band Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Now that we know who the key players are and we know their background, we can see that they each have a musically inclined background of varying degrees, and most of them also had an acting background, which would be important for what was to follow. At this time in the 60s, the Beatles had their American debut on The Ed Sullivan Show, the same one that Davey witnessed with his own eyes. Beatlemania was sweeping the nation as their hit singles, She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand, were taking over the airwaves. The mop-top liver and lads also came out with a movie called A Hard Day's Night, parodying the everyday lives of the band and what it's like to be famous. It was a smash hit. Hollywood wanted to cash in for themselves and create a similar band that American teens can relate to. Studio executives Bob, Ralphson, and Burt Schneider wanted to make movies, but had little experience. Schneider's father was president of Columbia Pictures and offered them the chance to make a pilot episode for a TV series. If the series was sold to a network, they could produce and direct episodes and gain some experience. So they came together to create a television series that basically represented eerily similarities to The Beatles. While the Beatles were always shown as a popular, well-known band, their show would be about an unknown band looking for the chance to become famous. And auditions were held for this TV show, casting the net far and wide to find the perfect boys to construct what would be known as the Monkees. Actor James Frawley, who was the son of William Frawley, who starred on the sitcom I Love Lucy, also wanted to become a movie director. So a couple of strings were pulled and he worked on this TV show. Before the series began filming, James spent six weeks working with the band members, teaching them about improvisation and acting and comedy and helping them learn to play characters. Not only did these four men have to come together to somehow figure out how they would act together, but most importantly, how would they genuinely be able to function as a properly working band? The pilot episode didn't test that well initially, but after some adjustment, the network bought the program and it went underway. The band would not only play music, but they also had to perform comedy skits like the Beatles did in A Hard Day's Night. That was the inspiration, after all. By May 1966, filming for the TV show began. A press release is put out to the general public on what the show will entail, and it reads... The series stars a fearsome foursome in the Monkees, a wholly manufactured singing group of attractive young men who came off as a combination of the Beatles, the Dead End Kids, and the Marx Brothers. 
critics will cry foul, long hairs will demand, outraged that they be removed from the air, but the kids will adore the monkeys. Unlike other rock and roll groups, the boys had never performed together. Indeed, they'd never even met. They've been working to create their own sound. Davey recalls how they used to have to steal moments away from the cameras on set in order to try and get some sense of how they'd function as a band. He said, for three months, we practiced our music. When you don't know a thing about music, it's a little hard to keep the beat. I had never even picked up an instrument, but Mike, Mickey, and Peter were great on guitar. We just played for something to do, and Screen Gems rented the instruments for us. We decided someone would have to play the drums, and Mickey volunteered, though he couldn't really play them. He couldn't keep rhythm. Peter got to be the bass guitarist because Mike didn't want to play it. Accompanying the television series was an actual full-length album of songs from the series. On their first recording, it is true that background musicians played the instrumentation. So, was that technically false advertising? I would say so. You expect to hear the monkeys, but you're really hearing studio musicians brought in to play the songs for them. This started the long-running rumor that the monkeys never actually played one bar of an instrument or sang one note of their songs. For most of the first season's songs, the members only sang and did not play on the records. As the TV show progressed, the Monkees wanted more creative input with their albums, and they actually wanted to have a chance to play on their recordings. And as time went on, they started performing for live audiences. To go from having a constructed band made just for a TV show to then having that band play live for an audience was something out of the ordinary. Nobody thought it would be possible. The monkeys were coming into their own and having the confidence to play together as a unit and form the bonds needed to create a proper band. Behind their backs, studio executives issued an entire second album without telling the band, and they planned on issuing a new single to accompany this album without the band's consent. An angry Michael Nesmith stepped in with his lawyer and called a press conference telling the media about his unhappiness with how the music was made. Many people thought this proved the Monkees were fakes and did not deserve to be popular. Two albums under the Monkees' name was nothing but a farce. They weren't playing on these two albums, and the band wanted a change. They spoke openly to the press about how unhappy they were at their lack of creative input in their albums. In the January 28, 1967 issue of Saturday Evening Post, an article quoted Michael Nesmith railing against the music creation process. He says, Do you know how debilitating it is to sit up and have to duplicate somebody else's records? Tell the world we don't record our own music? The direct, open communication with the media at large created a rift between the Monkees and producer Don Kirshner, Eventually, Don was fired from the project, resulting in the band finally taking creative control for the Monkees' third album. That same exact year in 1967, they went on a massive UK tour, but they received heavy criticism from the British press. Newspapers said that the group members did not always play their own instruments or sing the backing vocals in the studio. They were dubbed as the Prefab Four, and the Sunday Mirror called them a disgrace to the pop world. However, and ironically enough, the only British folks that took the Monkees in with love was, in fact, the Beatles themselves. When the Monkees came to the UK for this tour, the Beatles hosted a party for them as a welcome gift. 
they always had a tight friendship with them from this very meeting onwards. Peter Tork was later featured on George's album Wonderwall Music, and he played Paul McCartney's five-string banjo. Michael Nesmith attended the Beatles' recording session for A Day in the Life at Abbey Road Studios while they were on the tour. At that time, he reportedly asked John Lennon, do you think we're a cheap imitation of the Beatles, your movies, and your records? But John replied, I think you're the greatest comic talent since the Marx Brothers. I've never missed one of your programs. And I think for the Monkees, that was extremely comforting to hear that their sole inspiration for this TV show and for their music at large, they were happy with the Monkees. And I think that is the only thing that they had to worry about. If the Beatles didn't like them, then they were truly in the hole. But the fact that the Beatles had their backing and their support forever and always was very, very kind. After coming back home to America with their tails between their legs after being pelted over in the UK by the ruthless press, they tried their best to move on and bang their heads together in the studio for this third album. From the very beginning, all four monkeys were extremely honest in letting the public and the media know that they were just an act and not a real rock band. On October the 2nd, 1966, the monkeys gave their first public interview, which appears in the New York Times, in which Davy is asked if the big push for the monkeys is fair to the real rock groups, to which he responds, That's the breaks, but you can't fool the people. You really can't. In another instance, Newsweek interviews the monkeys. When they are asked how the music is created, Davy tells them, This isn't a rock and roll group. This is an act. And then in another interview, Peter comments, We have the potential, but there's not time to practice. And then Mickey would say, we're advertisers, we're selling the monkeys, it's gotta be that way. And then Michael Nesmith would say, they're in the middle of something good and they're trying to sell something. They want us to be the Beatles, but we're not. We're us. We're funny. So they aren't trying to fool anybody. By the band's assertions, it's the music producers, the record company, NBC, and the Hollywood executives that are selling a fake product to the American people, knowingly. The Monkees and the studio were all aware that the band just simply did not have enough time to practice their material while they were filming the show, but the studio assured them that they would have time and it would be okay when it came to recording their albums. The decision to hire background musicians was that of the record company and the studio. The Monkees have been outraged, rightfully so, that they were never able to actually perform on their records. Their reputation has henceforth forever been tarnished since the very beginning, and it was never fully amended. Jumping back into the timeline here, the Monkees' first self-made album, which is their third album, entitled Headquarters, was released in May of 1967. At this point, they have shifted entirely into a different era. Most people that know of the Monkees have two different phases, the pre-headquarters phase and the post-headquarters phase. But this delineation from their first two entirely constructed albums played by other people marked a new turning point for the band. Headquarters was released on May 22nd, 1967, and it charted at number one in the U.S., only to be replaced the following week by the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It then began a run of 11 consecutive weeks at the number two position as Sgt. Pepper's and Headquarters became the two top-selling records during 1967, amidst the ever-famous hippie, free-love, one-love 
counterculture to the Vietnam War. So people were extremely happy to hear these two very different kind of albums coming together, but they were the most popular of 1967. Headquarters is considered by many as the Monkees' best album they've ever done, and it shows that commitment to their craft and delivering an honest and truthful product to their fans was at the very core of the band's motivation. During the filming of the second season of the Monkees' TV show, the band became tired of scripts which they deemed monotonous and stale. After some time, the TV show would inevitably end up getting canceled in February of 1968. For a time, they did consider moving into the movie business instead of the TV show business. They did have a film called Head, which didn't do very well at all in the box office, so it was a flop. Um, so from there on out, they continue to make albums that were true to them from there on out. The band has 10 more albums following headquarters under their belt, but it was never the same since 1967. The American Fab Four would tour throughout the remaining years until they could no longer do it, and until, unfortunately, tragedy would strike the band one after another. So we're moving on, and we're fast-forwarding now to 2012. Lead member of the Monkees, Davy Jones, was the first monkey to pass away on February 29th, 2012. The story goes that he went to tend his 14 horses at a farm in Indian Town, Florida. After riding one of his favorite horses around the track, he complained of chest pains and difficulty breathing and was given antacid pills. He got in his car to go home. Just after 8 in the morning, a ranch hand found him unconscious and an ambulance was called, but he could not be revived. He was taken to the hospital where he died of a heart attack resulting from anteriosclerosis. He was only 63 years old. And as you could probably imagine, when a very famous musician dies, the surge in their music skyrockets across all platforms. So the passing of Davy's death, the news of it, triggered a surge in internet traffic for the monkeys, which caused the sale of their music to increase dramatically. Not only in physical sales of their album, but in plays on Spotify and Apple Music and on YouTube as well. Guitarist Michael Nesmith stated that Davies' spirit and soul live well in my heart among all the lovely people who remember with me the good times and the healing times that were created for so many, including us. I have fond memories. I wish him safe travels. He also would comment, for me, David was the monkeys. They were his band. We were just his sidemen. Unfortunately, Peter would then be the next monkey to pass away. Years prior to his death, he was diagnosed with a rare form of head and neck cancer in 2009, and over the years, he had underwent multiple radiation therapies and surgeries. He beat cancer once, but unfortunately, it came back viciously, and he succumbed to his cancer, and he died in his home in Mansfield, Connecticut on February 21st, 2019. Following Peter's death, Michael made another very heartwarming, soul-stirring statement for his band member, just like he did for Davey. He said this, Peter Torek died this morning. I am told he slipped away peacefully. Yet, as I write this, my tears are awash and my heart is broken. Even though I am clinging to the idea that we all continue, the pain that attends these passings has no cure. It's going to be a rough day. I share with all Monkees fans this change, this loss even so. P 
Peter Tork will be a part of me forever. I have said this before, and now it seems even more apt. The reason we called it a band is because it was where we all went to play. A band no more, and yet the music plays on. An anthem to all who made the monkeys and the TV show our private, dare I say, secret playground. I thought those were extremely beautiful tributes that Michael gave to his band members. And of course, Michael Nesmith and Mickey Dolenz, those two, they also shared their very heartwarming sentiments. But I just wanted to highlight Michael's because I thought Michael's were very prominent to me. They stood out to me and they were very heart-wrenching and very emotional and very beautiful. And sadly, the beautifully outspoken and always courageous Michael Nesmith would be the third member to pass away. Michael disclosed to Rolling Stone magazine that in 2018, he underwent quadruple bypass heart surgery, and tragically, he would pass away from heart failure at his home in Carmel Valley, California, on December 10th, 2021. And as it stands right now, Mickey Dolenz is the last surviving member of the Monkey, still going very strong. And as he takes on the torch of holding up the band and respecting the reputation of the Monkey's, He honors the legacies of his brothers and his bandmates. So, as we come to a conclusion on the Monkees, I think it could be clear to see that while, yes, the Monkees were actors who had some background talent in music put together for a TV show and their first two albums were not done by the band themselves, they stopped at nothing to show their disapproval and outrage towards the studio heads and music industry for not giving them the allotted space they deserved to deliver proper music to the fans. They took the reins in their hands and eventually were able to finally come together to release their creme de la creme in headquarters. Were they the best band technically speaking? No. But did their music capture the heart of 60s American youth and henceforth? Yes. Their music lives on in new generations and they are certainly not forgotten. So with that being said, I would highly suggest that you guys listen to the Monkees if you have not heard of them before. It is my humble opinion, like I say, that the Monkees were, all of them had some kind of musical background. A couple of them had acting backgrounds, not all of them, but of course, studio executives in Hollywood wanted to capture that lightning in a bottle that the Beatles did with A Hard Day's Night, but create a television show around it. So that's what they did with the Monkees. They held auditions for it, and they were actors first and foremost, yes. But they also had music abilities, musical talents. So they came together, and they kind of did the best that they could. Now, I think the problem was they just did not have enough time to properly rehearse as a band and get very good together. The studio, I think, was trying to push them to just do the best that they could do, and that miming their music was the best move to go. And so, yes, their first two albums are not them. The music videos that you see of them in the TV show, they're just miming to their stuff, and that is what it is, unfortunately. But regardless of that, though, I think they're not doing it vindictively or viciously, and the Monkees always were very upfront to the press and to the American people, and the world at large, actually, that... They were not trying to be the Beatles. They were not trying to be a rock and roll group seriously, that they were just an act for the TV show and that they did love music, though, um, and that the studio heads and the recording companies, they themselves were trying to push this 
narrative that the monkeys were this amazing, fantastic rock and roll group to sell records, right? But that, of course, was all a farce. But their third album, Headquarters, is known as their turning point. So that album entirely from that point on is then their music. They, of course, would come on to have other background musicians to come on and play for them. But like I say, were they the most technically good band? No. I mean, it's hard to say because their first two albums were just other really good background musicians that were playing. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to say, but they all had some kind of background in music anyway, even though they all kind of come from very different faculties of music, like one had folk background, one had rock and roll background, one had R&B background. Davey didn't have any background in music. He had only acting. So it's all meant to kind of come together in some kind of aspect. And I think the question there is, you know, are the monkeys a fake band? I would, it's probably a half and half question. Their first two albums, yes, they were not genuine, but the rest of their albums, definitely true. But that's just kind of what it is. So I would just give the monkeys a break. You know, like they seem to have been honest from the jump that they were not genuine in their coming out with it. Yeah, this is us playing on these two records. Like it's not. And they were upset by that. They were wholly upset and very angry that they did not have the creative control over their albums and they took it very seriously. So I think we shouldn't turn to the monkeys and disavow them. If anything, we should disavow the music industry itself and the Hollywood studios for attempting to kind of create a fake product to sell to the American people. But even that being said, the songs that are deemed as not them playing on it, they're still fantastic anyway. So it doesn't really matter to me. They sound great. So I would highly still suggest that you guys listen to their music regardless of that fact. Yeah, take a listen to it and see what you think. And that in a nutshell is the story of the monkeys. This was a really fun episode for me to do. And I hope that you guys learned something today that you hadn't known about before. I'll see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. 